What's up, Julia? <gasps> Nothing. <Big brick. laughs> I'm here with you to discuss Ted Lasso on this blessed Sunday. Hallelujah. How are you doing today? Um, pretty good. It's humid as shit in New York City, and it's really bumming me out. It's, Other than that, pretty all right. It's humid. It's hot here, and I think that's starting to go to people's brains because... It's, it's starting to go to my dog's brains. He's, like, losing his mind. Well, over in my neck of the woods, mm-hmm. as I told you last week, Mercury is entering retrograde. Uh-huh. The next two weeks are going to get even worse. And for some mm. reason, people have been denying me the one thing that I want in life, which is peace. Uh-huh. Every, everybody's been wanting to argue with me. I've got, I got, in the same day, actually, I told you about this, almost yeah, two, road, two rage road rage incidents. Like these people want to reenact the Netflix show Beef with me. And I'm just like, I, Everyone should watch, by the way. It's fucking wild. It's excellent. Well, I thought it was too long. I think they could have cut it in half. But I love Stephen Young. I love Ali Wong. So I'll give it excellent. And I like the ending. But yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I think I think if they kept the focus tighter on just those two characters, it could have been half. But I like that they explored, like, the brother and they gave the mom a little bit of coloring and, like, the husband and, you know. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I liked all the other characters, especially the cousin. I just didn't. Um... I wanted to get more into him because he was fucking like, I didn't know what his deal was. I he adored just seemed... the cousin because some of my cousins are like that. Oh, <laughs> uh, like, I mean, like, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think everyone has cousins like that, but I always avoided them because I was like, you are going to get me in fucking trouble. Oh, baby. I got I got I got goons. Let me just say that. So <laughs> but anyway, mm. back to the point of my story. All I want. Okay, it's just to be a middle-aged black woman, have my Aperol spritz, and just sway gently back and forth to Anita Baker songs. That's all I want. <laughs> I just want peace at this point. Okay, I'm entering that auntie stage. People, don't come to me with your bullshit. That's all I'm saying. I'm just putting it out into the world in case the universe can, can help me and take care of that. You know, Just the same way the... Um, Right, the characters in Ted Lasso are like looking to the universe nowadays. Right, I'm like Rebecca, Ugh. but instead All of a right. baby, I'm like bring me peace. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, with me now, having said my piece, let's get started with Woo-hoo. episode five of season three. It is called Signs, and it begins on a bit of a downer. It begins on a, a big bit of a downer. Um, They're losing to Newcastle. This was a tough episode all the way around. So there are certain things that I liked about this episode and then certain things that frustrate me because I think they're getting sloppy with some of the writing. But let's we'll get into it. I think that they're the pacing is different. I think instead of giving you a premise and tying it up within an episode or two, they're really stringing stuff out. Um, I don't mind that. Listen, I watched all five seasons of Mad Men uh, and that is that show's M.O., um, so it's not that they're not resolving it. It's more along the lines of certain things get dropped or... Well, that's what I mean. Are they dropping it? Or are they asking you to stay with them through the season so that they'll come back around to stuff? And the reason that I say that is because that's how I write. I write short stories. And um, mm-hmm. I've gotten more into it recently. And I post them online, right? And so I'll have people chime in and they'll be like oh, I wanted this to continue, or blah, 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 like whatever, opinions. 
And I'm like, oh, it's come, baby, I got this plotted out. It's coming back. You know what I mean? So that's what I think that they're they're giving you things in a little bit longer form than they have in past. Mm, maybe I, I'll discuss it we, we, when we get into it. Uh, this is particularly around Zava and Shandy, um, but I will I'll discuss that a little bit as we get as we kind of get into the recap. Okay, cool. All right. So before we move on too far, I just wanted to point out the episode title. So the um, title is Signs, and of course it references the belief sign, right? Mm-hmm. In kind of a literal sense. But then they're also giving all of this like symbolic, paranormal kind of woo-woo stuff that's happening with Rebecca in particular. A little <sighs> bit with Ted, maybe. Um, I have no patience for this storyline. As much as I love Rebecca. And I do enjoy, like, I, and I think it's a good storyline to pursue to the struggles of maybe a woman who wanted to have children but didn't. Like, I don't, I don't have problems with like the guts of the story. I, I just don't like. I hate this psychic bullshit, and so this is always it's going to color mm, my perception of the story. Yeah, well, it's gonna annoy you a lot more because. This whole episode, like I said, they're giving you literal and paranormal. So at points during this uh, recap, I'll try to point out like all of the, not all of them, because I know there are a lot I didn't catch, but I'll try to point out the kind of, you know, symbolic, paranormal, psychic related signs. There's so many signs in this episode that I fear we won't know, you know, what they really mean until like much later in the season. So as we said... This episode starts out on a really big downer. Richmond has been on a seven-week streak without a win. Um, and they have fallen from third place to ninth place. And their current like breakdown of wins, losses, and ties, they have six wins on the board, six ties, and three losses. Yeah, and we get color commentary from Chris about everything falls at the same rate except feathers. Yeah, Chris is always giving you a little chunk of his brain, isn't he? <laughs> Whatever's rattling around in there. Whatever's rattling around in there, and he clearly has no grasp of physics. Um, so the announcers also say that talent is clearly on the field. So it's not the team, right? Rather, the problem might be in the dugout, meaning Ted and the managers. Yes, I believe, and I believe this is calling into something that I have said the entire series is that Ted is bad at his job. Um, well, I think the show tells you that, right? Like from episode yes. one, Ted's not qualified to have the job. That's why he's chosen. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's kind of a given. Yeah. Um, so Beard's so pissed, right, at this loss that he actually takes off his hat and he throws it on the ground, which to my recollection is the first time that we've seen Beard take off his hat. Do you remember any other time? We've, I mean, we've seen him on Fancy, I think on Fancy Night, he, the, the Misadventures of Beard Night, he took off his hat a few times. We've seen him without his hat. Oh, did he? Okay. And I think Rebecca's, I think Rebecca's funeral, uh, father's funeral as well. Oh. He was there. Darn it. I didn't notice those things. Because I think, I think he's the kind of man that would know you can't wear a hat in a church. As a man, you can't wear a hat in a church. Oh, well, I didn't notice that. But anyway, he was so pissed off that he, uh, he slammed his cap down. Um... And Higgins the Stallion was reading a mean and or explicit... Wildly inappropriate text from his father. Yeah, I can't tell if it was just mean or, like, inappropriately sexually explicit. Um, it, but six it was six from- one half dozen of the other. <laughs> it was fucking wild. 
It was from his dad, and it was basically saying Richmond eats more ass than his mom, which I that just took me all the way down. Um, <laughs> and everything's just going to hell, right? Yeah. So Rebecca comes storming into the office, uh, and she actually yells at the management team and Ted. Yeah, um, she's wondering- also wearing that great dress we haven't. I don't think we've seen her wear since season one. That yeah, fucking dress rules. Good repeat. I don't know if it's an appropriate dress to wear to the office, but it fucking rules. I think everything she wears is appropriate. You know what I mean? I mean, because she wears it and she's gorgeous. Hell yeah. But like I'm just saying, it's it's a it's a pretty deep cleavagey dress. Um, let the titties out. I don't I mean, you know, whatever. If people at work can't handle it, that's on them. So <laughs> mm. so she comes in wondering if they'll ever win a match again. How'd you feel about the opening this episode? I kinda like it. I like I like when she comes in screaming mad. I like that Ted is clearly like this is new. Like he kind of, like I like that everyone kind of takes it, is taken aback, and takes it as the humorous thing it's supposed to be. Like you know what I mean? Like it's they're not offended. Like Ted doesn't get mad back. Like it's more along the lines of, oh, okay. But they're clearly rattled by it, right? Like I think they are. They are. In- yeah, he's rattled by it, and then um, yeah, and I I just love. You know, I love Roy and his appreciate. You know, his way with words. Um, I like, I like um, his evaluation of what is happening. I think he is, in fact, a hundred percent correct of what is wrong with the team. Okay, so there's a quick. They have a quick discussion after. It's I think it's right before Rebecca comes in after Higgins gets say wildly inappropriate text from his father. Um. And he goes, what is it? Like, he goes, it's not that, and Ted even says, it's not that, like, we're doing everything we can, we're doing everything, we just can't, like, something is missing, We something's not clicking, we can't get over that hump. And I think Higgins goes, like, the defense is fucked up, um, Beard goes, the offense is in shambles, like, and Roy just goes, everyone is just, like, every player on the field is just watching Zava so much, we should just charge them for tickets. And I think it's Zava has actually put the team in shambles. Like, they had worked so well and worked so good as a team before, and then they have Zava that they all clearly admire and look up to. And, like, they've just kind of gotten used to him carrying the team that they might have forgotten how to play. And, like, I have seen that happen. Like, I've, I've played with, like, people who are, like, you know, good players, and then suddenly you get placed on a team with, like, a, a player that's just head and shoulders above. You know what I mean? hmm And then, like, the entire team, like, funnels and it shapes around that team, and the day that person, like, injures themselves or they're out, like, the team kind of falls apart because everything kind of relied on, oh, this person will compensate for any of our mistakes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I think Roy is actually clear-eyed in his approach appraise like i don't think higgins or 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 beard are wrong saying like both our defense and offense are just out of sorts i think it's they're out of sorts because zava is there and everything has been zava 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 and like that can only carry you so far yes like as we've seen like like something has happened like the team like like, and I, again, I think it comes back to Ted and his coaching. He was not able to incorporate Zava into the team. And if he had been, if they had, like, actually built the team, not built the team around Zava, but incorporated him fully into the team, like they managed to do with Jamie, like, 
it would have been better. Yeah. Well, the couple things I picked up from this opening scene, I think everyone is right. Right. So I think that like every little piece that everyone says, like defense, offense, um, Roy's assessment about the rest of the team. And then also when Ted first starts out this conversation, if you notice, the import is in what Ted doesn't say. Right. He starts out the conversation by saying, I don't know what's wrong. <laughs> and so even though he doesn't say it, it's kind of implied it's him. that he doesn't even realize that, yeah, his coaching is part of what's wrong as well. So it's like everybody that speaks up there um, has like a piece of the puzzle in terms of what's wrong with Rich- Richmond. And really the whole thing is just a fucking shit show. Like at every part, they're not really living up to where they could be basically yeah yeah and i i think i think you're right i just wanted to say that i think the root cause of the defense and offense like i think higgins and beard are very right but i want to say i think it's roy that nails it specifically in that it's zava who like they have just gone grown like the reason the defense and offense is in shambles is they're just used to zava taking care of it Mm mm-hmm they're not um, playing to the best of their ability because they're used to funneling everything to Zava and him scoring. And there's a certain point that that doesn't work anymore. So next up, um, we get our first sign with Rebecca. Um, mm-hmm. She's having tea at a cafe, still very much focused on the green notebook. She's looking at it. She's touching it. She tries to get the, the waiter to take it away from her at one point. Um, and while she's at this cafe, she runs into John, boring John, I think was his name. <laughs> John Winston and, and, his, and his now affianced yeah. Jessica Darling. This is, what an annoying name, oh my God. So <laughs> this is actually the same cafe where she dumped um, that guy in the last uh, season, in season two, episode one. Um, so that's kind of our first sign when she runs into this guy. Mm-hmm. Well, he has, yeah, a new lady, a fiance, and they tell a story in which the fiance utters the phrase, shite and nining armor, which is sign two. Ugh. Uh, and Rebecca freaks out. She tries to call Keely, um, but Keely is busy working because, you know, Keely's a working woman. Uh, she is. <laughs> so speaking of Keely and work, Shandy has started her own app, Starfucker, in response to Keely shutting down her botched rebrand of banter last episode. Yeah, Shandy's spinning out. I would also like to notice that I uh, note that I think um, I know that uh, um like Keely's fashion has has been a always been a bit milder. Uh, her her first outfit we see her in today was did not care for. Did not care for. What was that? Well, it had the fake pierced nipples, and then it had this weird. It was like a corset. I don't like the corseted top look. Listen, I'm just gonna come out and say it. Corseted tops are fucking weird. I don't understand it. I don't get it. But they seem to be in fashion right now so she's got this like structured kind of corset at top she's got the fake pierced nipples which i just don't think is particularly classy maybe it's just me it's just like maybe they were real i saw somebody else mention this online and i didn't actually notice the outfit oh, I like she no- actually wore it but yeah she's giving yeah. you some like janet jackson treatment or something i suppose like are the piercings the- on the outside they, they are they are oh, on the outside maybe they're real they're, i mean uh, I think it's like a Chanel shirt or something. Like I think it's like a like a high fashion shirt. But oh, then, the shirt's designed like that. Yeah, the shirt's designed like that, oh, okay. and it's like backless primarily, but like corseted in the front, and then it goes down, and then 
her skirt is like a wraparound skirt. I did and, like the skirt, the green skirt. Oh, I, hated, I love that. I like the color of the skirt. I fucking hated the outfit altogether. I like, like how it, was, it wrapped around the sweater. I, I thought it was really visually it. interesting. Oh, I hated it. I hated it so much. It looked messy to me. Aside from her fashion, <laughs> she, she is a, a serious woman. She's working. I know. And, I know. Uh, you know, Jack. She's trying, she's trying to get it. She's in, listen, she's in publicity. Like, that is a professional outfit for publicity. I'm not, I'm not here. I just, that, that, that sartorial choice was not one I would make. Yeah, they mix it up. You know, Jack is in there in her leather pants, you know, all throughout the I didn't episode. mind, I didn't mind, like, I didn't mind her outfit. It I looked fuck, very comfortable. I fuck with the, uh, the fashion in, in this particular yeah. PR office, I guess. So Jack is all like, in response to Shandy and her acting out, she's all like, you got to fire her ass, Keely, basically, right? Um, yeah. And firings, specifically firing a friend, comes up between another trio of characters this episode, namely Higgins, Rebecca, and Ted. So they're giving you some parallels there about how to handle situations like that or how not to handle them. Yeah, I, I think Higgins is being realistic here, even though he doesn't seem to understand what fingernails are about. Um, which is, because I need to dig down deep into what Higgins doesn't understand about fingernails, because it's baffling. Uh, eventually in the episode, Keely does fire Shandy um, mm-hmm. after Barbara informs Keely that Shandy overstepped yet again. Uh, by calling a client drunk and trying to convince them to make condoms for balls, right? Which is an old, I can't remember who said it, but it's definitely an old joke (laughs) from like one of the like heavy hitter comedians. I can't remember. Yeah. Who, if somebody remembers who, please uh, email it to me or tweet it to me or something. It just seems it would be very uncomfortable. Anyway. Keely uses this uh, sandwich compliment technique that she learned from Jack to fire Shandy. And Shandy does basically a massive, like, fuck all y'all exit, which was goddamn bonkers. Um, I, so, okay. So I didn't like this. I didn't like the bonkers exit. I really didn't. I thought it was a bit over the top. I also think it's, like, this is sort of where I kind of have structural issues with the, the episode. I personally think like I, I like we'll see maybe maybe it's maybe it's good but like we're in the third and final episode third final season of this show and for whatever reason they've in- introduced two new characters and for reasons that are not entirely clear um like i understand with shandy it was trying to be like she's trying to help another another person out like she had help like out and she's trying to lift, you know, Shandy out so she can get, you know, because she had Rebecca um, helping her out. And she's trying to be the Rebecca figure to Shandy, right? That's what she's trying to do. And I get that. I get that idea. But, like. You're like, why? Why is this happening? Why? Why is this so happening? So I think this is what I'm saying about one of the things where I think they're asking you to go on a little bit longer of a journey in terms of these storylines developing. Um, Because I I thought the same thing. So this is what I thought with, like, Shandy. Okay, so Shandy, as we said, like, this idea of firing comes up multiple times in this episode. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's kind of one part of it. And then there's another part of it about how people leave or how people quit things, how they, like, particularly at work. That's the other part of it. Shandy 
to me stands in contrast to the kind of quiet disappearing way that Zava quit this episode. So, you know, like she goes out with like, you know, cannons firing with a, with a bang, you know, like with a sheep. She does like the harshest version of like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. You're cool. Somehow in her Mm -hmm. version, Dan ends up being the cool one, which I didn't understand that, but that was funny. Um, (laughs) But like she, she goes out like hard, right? Zava just like disappears. So I think there's some contrast that they're showing there. I I understand what you're saying. I think that, um, well, there's another part of it too. So okay. I mean, they're, they're layers, they're layers. So also I think that she may provide a contrast to both Nate and Ted because Nate was so competent, but he left with a lot of grief and, you know, Shandy is kind of, you know, you picked up on like the Rebecca to Keely mentorship. There's also kind of a Ted to Nate mentorship in the Keely and Shandy relationship. Um, Shandy's basically this incompetent person that leaves with all of, she messes up things. <laughs> and then she leaves with all this hubbub as if she was done wrong. Um, you know, Nate, in contrast, very competent person, you know, um, is an additive to the team, but he leaves with all of this grief. And in a similar kind of blustery, you know, angry way, even though his might be like on substance more justified than Shandy, but in the the way that they did it, it was almost kind of like a replay of what of what Nate did, but just played for comedy more so than Nate's, you know, acting out at Ted being played for drama. Um, and then also um, th- there might be some contrast with Ted in that Ted, kind of similar to Shandy, is not so competent in certain ways. But if he leaves, you know, we- we've been talking about that, when and if he leaves, he'll probably leave with a lot of grace and as a beloved figure as opposed to you know, burning bridges and like stomping out as this, you know, kind of falsely, um, you know, victimized person. So that's kind of what I'm picking up with the whole Shandy thing so far. I can I can see what you're saying. I just don't like we don't have that many episodes left. I don't think this is a plot point worth pursuing. Like, I like the idea of the one like, um, you know, Keely trying to pay it forward, right? I really like that. And I don't even mind if it's the first person she tries to pay it forward to doesn't work out, right? Like, that's fine. She should she should still keep trying. Like, maybe... But, like, we're in the final episode... Like, final series of episodes for this season. We're in episode five. I think there's 12. There's seven more. Like, they've wasted a lot of valuable screen time on a character just so she could have a funny exit. No, like, I, don't, I don't... Well... This is also another thing about Shandy. I don't think we've seen the last of Shandy. I don't think we've seen the last of Shandy. I definitely don't think we've seen the last of Zava. Let me be clear about that. So how many episodes do we have this? 12, I believe. So I don't think we've seen the last of either of them. But the problem is, is that if Keely wants to be a responsible business owner, she cannot rehire Shandy. She can't. Oh, no, I don't. I don't think. No, basically what I think is that Shandy's going to be out there causing public um, problems, like PR problems for Keely. That's what I think, if she comes back into the storyline at all. But um, basically what I wanted to say, kind of in response to, to what you're saying, we're halfway through. They're doing, at this point, basically hour-long episodes. I'm willing to kind of sit back and let them tell me the story, basically. I suppose, but I just, I don't, like, I think these points could have been dealt with 
maybe not Keely's, like that one of like pat paying it forward, but like some of the stuff with Zava I don't really like. Um as well. So I'm I'm having I'm having um frustrations on two levels. Okay. So at the club, the team is looking at tabloid pictures of Nate and a model Anastasia. And they're trying to basically put Zava up on the plot of She's All That, which he doesn't watch movies, so he doesn't know. He is fucking weird about his wife, man. That's not healthy. Whatever his relationship is with his wife is not healthy. Well, he loves his wife. <laughs> you can love your wife, but find objectively find someone else attractive. Like that, like people who like won't say someone else is attractive. Like that is like, like come on, like you have you have two eyes and a brain. Like come on. Yeah, everything they say is basically my wife. Yeah. So the managers are struggling to come up with a strategy to beat Man City. And this is their white whale. Um, Also the name of a strip club that Beard used to dance at in college. Yeah, Man City. We know that that Beard is perfectly willing to do a lot of something strange for a little bit of change. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Listen, he needed needed his money and he got it. I'm not here to judge. Just had to pay for books, you know what I mean? Yeah, had to pay Uh, for books. (laughs) Had to pay for beer money. And he did. He made it happen. So I'm not here to criticize. In the middle of uh, this, Ted learns via text that, or text from Michelle, that there's been a bullying incident at Henry's school. And Beard wants to fly home and burn the little bastard's house down. We also learn that Roy takes his anti-bullying tactics from the ancient Romans, apparently. Listen, Roy's approach is correct. That child will not do it again, will he? No. So there's this Might you get arrested? (laughs) Probably. You have to... The only thing that was wrong with Roy's plan was an exit strategy. You gotta have an exit strategy. That's all I'm gonna say about that. Otherwise, correct plan. You will not get bullied again by anyone. Uh... Roy is a sadistic bitch. So he's not sadistic. He is. He's correct. He he evaluated (laughs) the situation correctly and knew how to handle it. There's this whole thing. Well, I mean, they they play him as like a, and I love the background music even swelling. They play him as a sadist in the show. So there's this whole thing about him sneaking into a person's house at 4 a.m. Uh, which notably, he goes to Jamie's house at 4 a.m. every day, so that's interesting. Um, yeah. <laughs> and beating them with a thick, heavy rope soaked, soaked in red paint, and he pummels them over and over and over while laughing as loud as you can for as long as you can. If that's not a sadist, I don't know what is. Um, and then no, everybody scare them. How is everybody's that? It's horrifying. To scare <laughs> everybody's horrified, and they're just like, "Oh shit! What are, what dark you know corner of Roy are we seeing into?" <laughs> So I love that. I thought that was hilarious. Um, In Rebecca's office, here's where we get the second suggestion of firing that comes up. So Higgins comes in and he recommends that Rebecca possibly, maybe theoretically, as it were, think about firing Ted. (laughs) Yeah. And Rebecca's sitting there. She's still fidgeting with that green matchbook. And understandably, she just can't deal with Higgins' suggestion, right? It's too bleak, she says. So she changes the subject to psychics, which low-key is also what the writers are doing with this part of the season. (laughs) So I thought that was a little bit meta, um, and I like that. I like when they get meta. Well, Higgins believes in the shine, the inner eye, as he calls it. And he has an aunt with the gift who predicted that he would have five boys. So he says he thinks there's something to it. Uh, But he also says something pretty key, which is psychics, even if they are charlatans, um, 
a great UK band, by the way. Mm -hmm. He says, they help us see something in ourselves that maybe we can't quite see ourselves, right? And this is kind of what I've always said about this storyline. Right from when it first rolled out, I really think that ultimately the whole thing about the psychic vision will basically just lead Rebecca into seeing something in her life more clearly and taking a big step based on that new perspective. So I I like Higgins' kind of observation there about the psychic, the value of psychics. Over to West Ham and Nate's love life, Rupert's assistant suggests that he call Anastasia for a date. And Nate being Nate, of course, calls his mom to do a dry run. I love this. I thought it was very sweet. <laughs> I thought it was really cute, too. I mean, you know, go go to the person that gives you the best advice, Nate. So if that's your mom, perfect. Um, and she does actually give him good advice, right? So yes. be direct, be authoritative, you know, say should. Don't say, you know, maybe you should be able to go out for a drink. Don't be mealy mouth about it. All right. Go for what you want, Nate. Um, and from here, Ted and Rebecca... We go back over to the Richmond Club. They run into each other in the hallway at the club, and they're both very much preoccupied in their own worlds. And then there's this moment uh, that's very out of character for both of them. They just kind of stroll past each other. You know, hi, Ted. Hello, Rebecca. This kind of greeting that's out of place for them, and then they have this wonderful little moment um, of kind of cosmic energy, really, going back to the whole paranormal signs theme of the show um and without even knowing what's going on in each other's lives ted mentions the word psychic and rebecca mentions the word bullying so i'm going to count this as one of the signs in the episode as well kind of the ooky spooky signs um so how do you feel about this how do you feel about this little run-in with ted i liked it i didn't quite understand it um like i didn't quite understand the the fake faces they made but but yeah. I liked it too. I'm on the same page. I didn't quite know what they were going for here. Um, I think there's a couple of ways to read it. Uh, I, I think you know people that want Ted and Rebecca together definitely read it as having some romantic undertones or overtones. I don't know. I don't know. I, I didn't get it. I, I don't know what... I don't know what's up. But I liked it. I liked it. Um, I also hate... I hate all this nonsense. But yeah, it is what it is. I, I hate it so much. It hurts. Just like so rub much. rub your temples and like take deep breaths and like, you know. <laughs> um yeah, th- this little this little run in that they have. I'm not sure if it's romantic. Um I did like this scene a lot. And um I think there's definitely a way to read it as romantic. I read it uh and I'm kind of I'm, I'm up in the air about it. I'm kind of 50/50 on both, but maybe slightly edging out a different interpretation. So um, I think it just shows how strongly they're connected. And this particular episode is playing with these kind of extrasensory and paranormal themes, you know, like psychics and all that stuff. You know, but there's also maybe like ESP and clairvoyance and kind of a mild form of telepathy that's happening in here. So that fits that overall theme of, you know, extrasensory perceptions. And basically what happens between them is that it's a demonstration of those moments in life. I've certainly had these where you feel like you can 
that you feel like you have or you feel like you gain information about someone through sensing it rather than explicitly being told it, you know, and it's because you kind of, you know, know that person so well, you kind of have a good idea of like what's going on around them and their environment. And when something is off, you can pick it up. So I thought that was really interesting that they both kind of picked up on what's going on in the other person's life. They had never discussed those things with each other, you know, prior to this. So they don't know, right? Rebecca doesn't know about the bullying situation. Ted doesn't know about the psychic situation. Um, And yeah, so that's definitely happened to me before. I don't know if there's a name for this phenomenon, um, you know, except for like clairvoyance or telepathy or something like that. But it's really, really, it's really, really freaky or coincidence. Yeah. It's really, really freaky when it happens, though. Um, And I've definitely had this happen where, like, I'll say something. And then somebody will be like, how do you know that? Who told you? And it's like, literally, I did not know. (laughs) Nobody told me. I did not know that. I just felt it. I just kind of knew. You know what I mean? So I like that as a demonstration of, like, how connected they are to each other. I thought it was really cute. Uh, Yeah, but I think it's more, like you said, like, they are somehow connect like they they can read read each other more than it being you know like psychic stuff it goes back to like what higgins said too like is it really psychic or is there kind of some other thing that's going on about how we all how connected we are and how much we engage in 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 our own lives two different ways to look at the same thing maybe when I go through this, like, recap, I'm not viewing any of this as, like, literally psychic. <laughs> I don't know if other people are watching the show that way. I would be surprised if other people are watching the show that way. Um, I would be surprised if they intend it that way. But, you know, I think it's uh, it's about raising the, the question, basically, and thinking about what could this really be if it's not that, right? Um, so another kind of spooky thing happens. Rebecca goes to see her gynecologist. And while in the waiting room, she sees two couples and a single lady there as well. Now, I did not notice this. I would never have noticed this at all. Um, But there was actually someone on Twitter that did a screen cap. And they pointed out that those two couples and that lady, those are the exact same people that appeared in the cafe scene in season two, episode one, right before Rebecca breaks up with Boring John. Hmm. Um, and in that episode, she has an epiphany, right? And they have, remember, they have this whole, this was the Magnolia episode where they kept referencing the movie Magnolia. Mm-hmm. So they have this whole uh, Magnolia reference in there where Amy Mann's song Wise Up is playing in the background. Rebecca is having this revelation about her love life and what she actually wants, which leads her to breaking up with John. And she goes through this whole thing about how she understands that she needs to be brave enough to let someone wonderful love her without fear of being hurt, without fear of being safe, which is one of the lessons at the end of Magnolia between the John C. Riley and... Uh, Oh, God. I used to know that actress's name, but I'd forgotten now. But the lady that plays his love interest in that show, in that movie. Um, So this moment, right? Like you would have to. I 
don't I, I don't know I don't know. You would have to notice these people to kind of get what this moment is doing. Maybe they'll make it more explicit later. Um the series does like to drop Easter eggs in for audience, you know, the, the people watching it. Um but basically what I take this to mean is that this moment, this episode in particular, replicates a big moment for Rebecca if past is prologue. So just as she took a brave step at the beginning of season two in terms of putting herself out there to find love, and she found it in an unexpected place via Sam last season, I believe that with this episode and everything that happens in it, it'll also bring her to a place where she shows similar bravery in terms of moving forward in a journey towards something that she wants, which is, in this case is a family. And that journey is sparked by the words of that psychic. Uh, I don't know if the words of the psychic will literally be true, but I think in this episode where we leave Rebecca at the end is that there's something percolating in her brain or maybe there's, you know, to kind of forecast what comes next. This is not the end of the story for her. And that she'll be faced to make some type of choice about whether to pursue and embrace having a family. Just like last season when she had to pursue and embrace putting herself out there to be open for love. I don't believe that what happens at the end of this episode is the end. Uh, I think it's just the beginning of her journey and what the outcome will be will be unexpected. So next up, Zava gives a locker room speech stealing Jamie Tart's thunder. Um... And he's basically talking about the team needing to believe that they can beat Man City. He says, you will not win because of me. You will win because you work together. Because together you can achieve anything. <laughs> now, we had been talking about the fact that Zava was going to not be around um, for pretty much all of season three since we've been introduced to the concept of Zava. But in this episode... I was like, in this scene, I was like, he is definitely not showing up for the match. <laughs> like, at this point, because he was using too many U's. It was all U's. I didn't, I and didn't I was get like, that, Zaba. but like, Zaba's telling on himself. He's telling y'all what he's about to do. Yeah, I didn't get it at the time, but I got it in hindsight, because I think you're right. Like, I didn't quite capture on it. I caught it right in that moment. I was like, he's no, using I didn't. too many U's. Because, you know, uh, the great thing about Zava's dialogue is that he, his dialogue is hyper-literal sometimes. You know, so like the whole thing about like, passion means love. Passion is also a crime. Passion is also a fruit. <laughs> like, you know, he'll have these little moments where it's like hyper-literal. So I was like, oh, he's using all these Jews. He means that. He means that y'all are going to have to do this match by yourself. <laughs> um, what an asshole. So. <laughs> I actually love I low-key love Zava. Like, I really do. Um, so, Ted learns from Michelle, going back to Ted's storyline, that Henry didn't get bullied, that he was the bully. Yeah, and this really uh, sets Ted off. It destabilizes Ted Lasso for a second. Yeah. Um, so, I'm just going to guess, right, because I'm, I'm very open with my biases about Michelle and everything that's going on with Michelle back home. I'm going to guess that this is Jake's bad influence, right? Now, the show has not told us that in any way, but here's why I say that. We know that Jake 
ganged up on Ted during the, the couple's therapy sessions. At least that's what Ted said. So I'm like, Jake has the capacity to be a, a bully. You know what I mean? Maybe he's teaching bad stuff to Henry. All right. Be careful, Ted. Don't let another man raise your son. <laughs> uh, all right. So clearly I'm kidding. Also, when Ted hears that Jake and Henry are outside at the park getting some fresh air, Ted pours himself a glass of whiskey instead of pouring a glass of water. He actually has a water pitcher. Yeah, I caught that. I caught he- that. I was like, he says, oh, Dr. Jacobs he got him. And he's like, oh, and he's like, he's like switches. And I was like, oh, Ted. Yeah, he switches to whiskey. So even though I was joking, right, about Jake's influence. This thing with with Jake being there does bother Ted. So we see that pretty clearly. Yeah. So basically, for some reason, I feel like this is going to factor into Ted's future choices and decision to go home, um, which we've already forecasted and which I would like to see. I'm not. I've kind of started to have doubts about that, like recently, but I still, I still think that. Yeah, that's- the end of this episode, I'm kind of like, we'll see. I don't know. I, st- I still that's still where I want to kind of hang my hat. I really hope that they actually do do that as a storyline. I think it's interesting, even though I don't want to see our Richmond family broken up. But, you know, uh, sometimes you have to move on. But, yeah, I really do like I, the part of that Jake thing that I'm serious about is I think it bothers Ted the idea of somebody else being there for his son, you know, physically on the day to day in a way that he cannot be because he's in another country. So I want to see where they're going to go with that. And then on match day, Zava is nowhere to be found. The team loses four to zero, demoralizing. Yeah, that's a pretty embarrassing loss. It's terrible. It's like really, really bad. Um, And, you know, the boys walk off the field and they're looking so demoralized. All right. So there's some intervening things that we get here with Keely and Nate. So I'm just going to go through those right now to kind of finish out the storyline before going back over to Richmond and Ted and that great speech that he gives. So over with Keely, Shandy has left a parting gift in the conference room and it's not delicious free office pastries, right? The best kind of pastries. It's a baby lamb who has pooped all over the conference table. And, uh, you know, Keely and Jack, they stay behind to clean this up. They never make it to the match. Instead, they hang out and they clean up the poop, they return the lamb, uh, they get drunk, and eventually they end up getting it on after they talk and connect a little bit. Um, how'd you feel about this development in Keeley's life? I maintain it's unwise to get a, um, in a romantic entanglement with your employer. Not um, an entanglement. <laughs> I just can't help but think of Jada Pinkett Smith whenever I hear that word. Uh, I don't know how to um, like I mean, say it. Like I don't think it's a wise to get. She was right. They are entanglements. That's true. Yeah. Like I mean, like we don't know that much about Jack. You know how I feel about the rich. Like there's just something about her that I just one personally. I just really don't think you should get involved with your boss. Like that's just. It's bad news. Like, it's just, it's, it can only end badly. And, like, we just don't know that much about her. Other than she wears pretty rad shoes and leather pants. Goddamn, I love those leather pants this episode. Mm. 
guess I liked both of her outfits. Kind of, they were both. I liked. I liked her nice, big. I liked that big. I I really love the weird oversized sweater vest look. Like yeah. I couldn't ever pull it out simply because, like I I don't know that I just don't know that I f- physically could. Um, I think that look looks good on everybody. Like especially with like the black tube top underneath, so you get like a little bit of side peakage, you know. I yeah, like it. I, I really liked it. Like I liked it, but it's just like for me, if I'm wearing a sweater, I want my arms to be warm too. So like I get oh yeah yeah yeah. yeah. So it like vexes me. It's a summer sweater. <laughs> no, there is no such thing as a summer sweater. <laughs> yes, there is. No, there is not. Summer sweaters are one of my favorite articles of clothing. Um, along with short suits. And if you don't know what a short suit is, Google it. It looks like, you know, this is a sad image, but you remember John John at a, not remember, but you've seen those images, everybody, of, of little John John at JFK's funeral. That's a short suit, but only imagine it on a grown man. I fucking love it. I love it. <laughs> I love it so much. <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I, I'll just say this about the scene. I love the scene. The first thing I thought was they're shaking it up. They're doing something different. Um, I had figured that Jack, basically just the first time seeing her really, was some kind of executive queer. Turns out she's an executive bi, as we learn in this episode Mm -hmm. from her talking about her past dating history. Uh, The clowns thing was bonkers. Um, I always thought Keely was bi because when she was, saying certain things and then also hitting on Rebecca like I took her at face value you know oh I always thought that was sincere yeah yeah yeah. like I definitely thought like yeah yeah Keely's Keely's bye um but I did not expect this hookup I didn't expect it once they were doing it I was like I like this but I didn't and you know what I had actually picked up like a little bit of vibe between Jack and Keely, I didn't of. think I didn't think they were gonna pay it out. I didn't think they were actually gonna do it. So this is part. This surprised me. Yeah, I liked it. I like it, but you know how I feel that it's, you know, it's it's supposed to be her and Roy, mostly because I just love Roy. I just love him so much. Yeah, I think that, I think for Keely, that's definitely end game. For Keely and Roy, it's yeah. Yeah, because you see, like, despite the fact she might have some feelings about Jamie and whatever, like, she can talk about Jamie. She can't talk about Roy. Mm, that's an interesting observation, yeah. Um, in terms of portmanteau names, does anybody call them Royly? Roy, Royly? That sounds like a disease. <laughs> um, or it sounds like if a parent wanted a girl and they wanted to name her Riley, but then they had a boy, so they were like, we'll call him Royley. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's a portmanteau. Use that, you guys. That's good. All right, so Nate, over with Nate and his love life. Uh, he is using his non-match day to take Anastasia out on a date to his favorite restaurant and apparently the only restaurant that he knows, <laughs> the Greek restaurant. Uh, I well, I actually really liked we in this episode that we get why um, why he's so fixated on this restaurant, why this restaurant means, you know, like what this restaurant means to him. Yeah, I actually really like that too. Um, I think it's a a great side of Nate to see, right? But yeah, it, this restaurant is where he celebrates things with his family. It means so much to them. 
And they have good food, so that's why he brings her here. I mean, Greek food is pretty good. I don't know why Anastasia is being such a little bitch about it. Well, she probably wants to go to whatever the UK version is of Nobu. You know, like a fancy. Trendy or like super fancy and not like a place that's like, you know, probably medium. Like you could dress up or dress down and like just has solid good food. You know? Yeah. Though I do... I do kind of agree with her. You can't really take pictures of hummus. It just looks like vomit. It That is not an inaccurate description of what hummus looks like. Yeah. Um, Tastes delicious, though. It's not. That's why I like Mediterranean food, because it's not always the prettiest. But for, I mean, flavor wise, you cannot yep. beat it. It's so good. Um, so, yeah, Anastasia's being stuck up. She ditches him pretty quickly. Finding the place is too dumpy and sad. And uh, she bails. And we see her getting into a convertible with these other models. And uh, Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go is playing. <laughs> Which I loved it. I thought it was so good. It was an homage to uh, the orange mocha frappuccino scene from Zoolander. <laughs> so <laughs> hopefully they don't go to a gas station and have a gas, a gas water fight and blow each other up. Um, <laughs> so unlike the previous romantic pairing... Uh, with Keely and Jack. I actually did expect this hookup that comes next in Nate's story. So after Anastasia ditches him, Jade comes up and joins Nate for Baklava. How did you feel about this? Do you have any feelings? Baklava? Um, I actually rather like this. I think it's... I think it's... Um, I, I Well, mostly because I think I like Nate a bit more than you. Um, but... Um, I like Nate kind of returning to his, like, this is, I'm hoping this is, like, the turning of the corner for Nate. Because this is the Nate that I think he kind of realizes, like, he's always trying to impress people. And I think the character of Jade was that one person he just couldn't impress. And when he finally kind of embarrassed him, like, like you see him kind of finally, like, one, he says something nice and sincere to her, which he's never said before. And yes, like, and she overhears that. And so she is seeing him as a, like, not this jumped up, like, listen, as a waitress, I can't, like, I, I do hate the way she sprays the menus. That'll never not be whatever. And I don't particularly care for that necklace, even if her dad gave it to her. But like, I can see a waitress kind of treating some, like someone she sees is just like someone on a power trip like the way she treats Nate because we sympathize with Nate, but he is always on a power trip when he comes to that restaurant. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Even kind of, even in the first one where he's kind of like stuttering, but he's still kind of trying to force her to give him this, this table where he, where if he, if he just said, I think to her like very clearly in the first time we see her, like, hi, like, uh, you know, I'm having a really important dinner with my mom and my dad tonight. Like this restaurant means a lot to us. We are repeated patrons. We're here all the time. Like, We've celebrated all kinds of big anniversaries here, like, you know, wedding, like, whatever. Like, it would mean a lot to me and to my father if you could please give us the seat by the front. And I think if he'd done that, done it sincerely, done it nicely, it would have, like, she probably would have been like, okay. But I think she kind of read Nate's, she had Nate's number, I think, from from Jump. Yes. And now you we kind of see that, we're seeing that start to fall away. And so now they have this lovely, I don't know if it's romantic, but at least a friendship, kind of like cute little date. And I really kind of like it. 
Um, I like this too. I thought that uh, I have two feelings about this, really. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with what you're saying. I think that he basically showed her genuineness on accident. Yes, when he was talking about the the how's it baklava. Baklava. Yeah. Um, well, they say it's bak- Like, I think it's the difference. Usually in American English, it said baklava. I think they're saying it baklava. Mm. Slightly different emphasis. I don't know if which one is correct because I have never studied Greek. I don't either. But um, when I hear baklava, I think of balaklava. And then that confuses yeah, I me. Was, I was like having a problem <laughs> with it. Me too. But um, yeah, I think she sees that genuineness in that moment when he describes the baklava as divine. Uh, and then also seeing, you know, him kind of fall flat on gen- his face, genuinely trying to show this model Anastasia something that he loves, and yeah. she doesn't respond to it, and he ends up getting getting uh, stood up, you know, not, not stood up, but left on the stage. Yeah, Which and I think that classless. That, that's a classless move. Uh oh, in that particular situation, for that reason. Maybe. I'm all for bailing on romantic shit exactly when you feel like you should bail and exactly how. (laughs) So I think that just comes, in my view, I just think it comes to the territory. Um, I mean, if you feel unsafe, I could understand. But like, I don't know that I wouldn't, like if I was going, if if someone had offended me so deeply, like on a date that I left in the middle, I would be like, dude, get your fucking, like I would say it. I'd be like, I am leaving. Uh, you're terrible, and I'm leaving. Yeah, I think there are different approaches, but um, mm. I uh, I mean, I don't particularly. I don't know. I did. I didn't kind of think or care about Anastasia one way or the other. Um, I, I thought it was like one of those. I really think they just Maybe put that in just, there to I, do I the the a... like Zoolander thing, but <laughs> like the way that she leaves, <laughs> you know, and like the stereotypical kind of tropey like. Oh, I'm a girl. I'm going to pretend to call my friends, but then I'm like really bailing on you or whatever. But I've definitely done the thing where it's, yeah, yeah, I hopefully not as obviously as that, but I've done that thing where it's like, oh, I got a call or something happened. I have to leave. And simply because I'm not enjoying this. Right. I mean, I, th- that's good enough for me. <laughs> like that is, And I think that, I think some t- people think that is mean because you're kind of truncating this date and ending it off. I actually think that's very, very kind. I'm also a person who doesn't ghost or anything like that because I'm really straightforward with telling people, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm not. End of story. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. it, it's not you. It's just that I don't respond well to you, right? So it's me and and get the fuck up and, and leave. I think yeah, I actually really like that. I think it's kind to the person to just cut that shit right out of, off at the legs um, rather than wasting their time because then it's even worse of like, you know, Nate in this situation, they go through a whole date and he thinks that it's like good and asks her for a second date. Like, oh, my well, God. Well, I don't think I think they had the first interact. I don't know. I don't think Nate would have ever thought that date was going well. Um, No, probably not. But uh, he's not a complete dingus. I like the kind of revealing of a genuine Nate again. I like the fact that Jade responds to that. I like that we maybe get an explanation as to why Jade has been such a dick. Every time that we've seen her, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, like she's doing it in response to the energy that Nate was giving out. Um, that doesn't take away for me, though, everything that we've seen. Except for last episode, because I think last episode Jade was right. But Jade's way of operating, like, 
I really I don't I don't like it. I don't I don't like people that are kind of always leading with negativity. I think that Jade and Nate are similar in that way. And uh, I think maybe that's part of the reason why they kind of, I don't know, she kind of sees him or something. She kind of sees some of the negativity fall away in favor of something more genuine. Maybe that spoke to her and felt familiar to her. I don't know, but I'm a little bit worried. I hope that they stay on a path that's both positive for both of them. So I'm hoping that the recognition that they have is for both of their growth as opposed to ending up in a place where they both of their dysfunction kind of feeds on each other, which had been happening every time they interacted prior to now. So I, I don't think it's a big concern. Like, I think it'll be ultimately positive for Nate, but it did give me a little bit of a squick at the same time. I could see that, but I think, um, I, I think, I don't think this is that show. I think, because I think what's going to happen is, is it, so this is my prediction. We're predicting, doing a prediction early. Maybe they do start dating. So this is like, this literally just came into my brain right this moment. Is is that somehow um, Jade and uh, like Nate, like Nate, Jade interacts with Rupert and Jade is just going to be like, fuck you. <laughs> you know what I mean? I would Even love worse. That. I would love like, that. And I think, and I think that's going to be like him kind of like realizing, you know what I mean? Like that'll be, that'll help him. Cause I think he's still... Like, I think Nate is still swayed by powerful men, which I, you know, we've seen Rupert be immensely charming. In this case, I don't really so much fall, like, fault Nate in falling for Rupert's shtick. I think almost everybody falls for Rupert, right? Like we, yeah, I think everyone has falls that for Rupert's shtick. Yeah, yeah, not Ted. Ted is one of the ones. Yeah, that's where... right. That's right. Going back to season one, Ted from the beginning was like, what the fuck is this guy up to? <laughs> Which is why I love Ted Lasso. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't think they'll take it there, but I definitely worry. But I would love it if somehow Jade ends up ends up checking Rupert. I think that's great kind of you know fan casting or or wishing there i love that yeah i could see it happening it literally just like brainwave from your brain to the uh the past because the show's already written and has been for like a year it's like written film yeah but you know what i mean it's all new to me right so (laughs) (laughs) all right so this is where we get to the rounding out parts of this episode wrapping things up so, all right, so this is where we get to the heartbreaking scene with Rebecca next, where mm-hmm. she gets her fertility results from Dr. Wagner. And uh, we don't hear what he says, but from her initial reaction, it's not what she wanted to hear. Well, she says, that's what I expected. Yes, uh, she says, that's what I expected. It's definitely better to know for sure, right? Yeah, I think I think she was... Hmm. Like I think she like I think she allowed herself to hope because she bought into all that psychic bullshit. So yeah, I was actually confused by her reaction. Right when I first watched mm-hmm. this, um, she sits down at the desk, and I saw some ambiguity there, or even some hope in her face, in addition mm-hmm. to pain. So she was playing a couple of different emotions. 
So I honestly don't know what to think about what is next, you know, other than what I said earlier, which is the matter of her having a family isn't over. And I think that she'll be brought to make some some type of brave decision about what to pursue. Um, But yeah, I think that now clearly kind of I'm more in the camp of uh, disappointing, you know, disappointing news. We chatted about this before we recorded and like you had said that, oh, I think she's, you know, she seemed happy at the end. Well, I said that I saw a mix of joy in her face. And I thought that they were leaving it ambiguous. I still think that they are. Leaving I think you're it probably right. Ambiguous, but the uh, so the ambiguity, the ambiguity that I thought before, I didn't hear her say, um, "It's better to know for sure" or something like that. Like that line kind of clarified things for me. Mm-hmm. But the ambiguity I thought was there before was around what the doctor said. And I still don't think the doctor said, you know, absolutely no. I think he probably said it'll be really tough and it's likely not possible or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it seems it's I was probably like the chances are very low. We can proceed, but I would not like recommend it as I do not think there will be a positive out- outcome. Yeah. So I, th- I think that that's pretty clear. The ambiguity that I see now, especially and this is what happened, seeing that that screenshot, like I said, on Twitter, and I wish I could remember the person's name, but, you know, of showing the parallel between the caf- the two cafe, the, excuse me, the cafe scene in 201, and then also this episode with the gynecology scene, mm-hmm. that's got me to thinking that now the ambiguity is on, will Rebecca pursue a family? It's not on what the doctor said. Like, the doctor gave her a setback because in the description for this show, it was like, you know, people get, like, a, a series of setbacks in their personal lives. So that was definitely a setback. But the ambiguity now is what's the next step that Rebecca's going to take? Because there are many different ways to have a family. There are. Um, and so, like I said, 201, she was spurred for to do the whole banter thing to open herself up based upon a setback with John. In 305, is she going to be spurred for to pursue a family based upon a setback with Dr. Wagner? Because they gave us all these signs. So, okay. So Ted almost has a panic episode after the match, but is interrupted by a call from Henry. And even when it starts to come back up, he has actually learned to self-soothe. We see this. Ted Lasso has coping mechanisms. Um, So he takes a couple of deep, deep breaths um and reminds himself that henry's okay well i think i think what helped him actually kind of come down was the fact that what beard said to him was correct um like that that you know because we think so i think the, the thing here is is that ted is very worried that he no longer has an impact on his child's life like that he's he's you know he's been missing he's an absentee father and then this bullying thing just kind of confirms it. That, like, he has not raised his kid right. He is not there to be a positive influence. Now, is it the influence of Jake that's making him a bully or not? We don't know. But he is, like, he basically he views this as the fact that his child was a bully. It's like, 
he cannot feel my influence. He is not like this is, you know, a crisis in parenting, basically. Yeah. Which I feel bad for parents. Side note, this is why I don't think I could ever be a parent. Like, what do you do if you just have a shitty kid? Like, I know that doesn't happen often. Like, and most, like, if someone grows into be a, up to be a shitty adult, sometimes you just had shitty parents. But, like, sometimes people are just shitty. And, like, that's the problem is when you have a kid, they're people. And, like, what do you do if you're a good parent? Like, you do everything right. Like, no one would disagree that your parent, like, you know, whatever. Like, you've never, like, and your kid's just shitty. I would. Devastating. Most of the times when I see something like that, I think, like, parents should look again at themselves. Um. And then well, I think we think that Ted is like so. That's I think they should look again at themselves. Yeah. Oh no, I don't mean that in relation to Ted. I just mean that in relation to what you said. Because um, I don't think Henry's like shitty or a lost cause or you know, it's like he's being like an average kid. I think going through something. Yeah, yeah. But, and um, they go through they go through shit. But no, I'm just saying, like, especially sometimes... going through divorce, it'll make a kid act out. You know what I mean? So even if Ted was there, it could still be in the situation. But just to answer your question, I think that it's you just continue to love your kid. Like if it honestly wasn't on you, which I, that I think is extremely rare. I, I think that parents, Oh, it's even extremely, ex- even loving, extremely rare, you know, well-meaning parents um, can make some really grievous mistakes. But um, so, yeah, but I, yeah, I think in general, that's, that's what you do. Um, I think that you're right about, you know, Ted being worried about, about Henry. Like Beard is utterly um undisturbed by this like when he finds out oh it's henry bullying and he just like don't worry about it dude it's just like a one-off thing these things happen like um like he's still your son you've raised him correctly but ted is like no i've i've been in england for the last three years i see him probably like we know he was over for six months i'm assuming he probably flies back and forth like they see each other probably i would imagine maybe up to three months a year, but like, you you know what I mean? Like it's, it's still not as much as he would like to see his son. And he's worried he no longer has a day-to-day presence in his son life. And that now her son is bullying. And this is like, to Ted, this is the worst thing anyone could do. And so he gets the call back and it reaffirms basically what Beard said that, no, you still have a positive influence. Henry is still Henry. He's still the little, the kind, you know, the boy that leads with kindness as you raised him to be. He said, you know, I, and, and Henry fully admits, listen, I screwed up. I was mad. I took it out on someone else. Like, I shouldn't have done that. I did an apology rap, which, okay. Um, oh, I yeah. Mean, and then Ted, Ted has the whole thing about the message. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yes. I, and then I think Ted it's that call and then, like, with, Ted, yeah, it's, with it's, Henry. It's Henry that I think fully calms him down. And then he, like, then he talks himself off the edge with the, he's okay. The deep breaths, like Rebecca helped him with way all the way back in season one when he had a panic attack. And calms down. Yes, 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 yes. Um, but I think it's, I think it's ultimately talking to Henry and seeing that, like, that just seeing that he still has a connection with his son, that his son still sees him as a participant in his life. You know what I mean? That he doesn't see, that he is still a positive influence on his son's life. Yeah, and that he is, in fact, okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that it wasn't, it, it you know, and he immediately owns, like, he he's the person that Ted raised him to be, immediately owns up to it, immediately apologizes. Yeah. So, meanwhile, in the locker room, Sam plays a video Zava posted to social media announcing his retirement. 
And mm-hmm. Roy and Jamie give each other very knowing looks, right? Lances. So as, you know, and Roy basically gives him that nod, like, it's, it's your time, my boy, you know? So as we've been saying, Jamie has been getting prepared for this. Um, and I think his time, right, to reemerge and rise from the ashes is finally with us, you know? Like, like a, a phoenix rising from the ashes. A thick, hind-quartered phoenix. <laughs> so... Uh, Ted also looks at Jamie when he gives his big speech this episode in response to Zava leaving and the setbacks that the team has been dealt. He says, we didn't need Zava. This is what Ted says. And this is the exact same thing that Jamie Tart said to him when Jamie first came to Ted to talk to Ted about Zava before the team signed Zava, remember? Mm-hmm. Um, and Ted also says... All we need to win are the fellas right now in this room. And all you fellas need to do is believe. And this is the last big like woo-woo sign that we get this episode. The believe sign falls down, like right when he says this. (laughs) Um, Bumbercatch yells out, it's a sign. (laughs) And Ted proceeds to give a pretty reassuring speech about belief not just happening because you hang a sign up on the wall. Belief comes from inside. Uh, he says, the only problem is that we have so much junk flowing through us that it ends up getting in the way. Envy, fear, shame. He says he doesn't want to mess around with that shit anymore. Hell no. <laughs> Instead, he wants to focus on the belief that I matter, regardless of what I do or don't achieve, the belief that I deserve to be loved, the belief in hope, to believe that we can get better, belief in one another, nothing can rip that apart. He says this as he's further ripping up and destroying the yellow, the original yellow belief sign. And uh, this is a great end to the episode to me. I'm like, see, this is what my boy does, all right? Inspirational son of a bitch, okay? Um, so I love this idea. I love the idea of uh, the team putting their belief into action, especially as a path to recover from not only losing Zava, but um, as you've kind of been saying, the impact that having Zava on the team has kind of left them discombobulated, right? It's kind of left them up in the air in terms of their playing strategy, and they need to kind of reform and rebuild now without a Zava. So I love this as a speech going into that. I loved it as an overall uh, kind of ethos for where Ted Lasso himself is at in this moment. Um, we have seen him let go of a lot of stuff, uh, you know, the, the envy, fear, shame. Uh, we've seen him struggle with those different things on different levels, and he's maybe still working through some envy stuff with not being able to be there for Henry. But... um. It's all, you know, in progress. He's on a path. Uh, He says he wants to work to get rid of that stuff. We've seen those scenes play out for many of our players. How do you feel about the closing kind of scenes? I really liked it. I'm hoping this is a return. Like, so this is going to be, again, tipping into my predictions. Um, But this is, I think, a return to form for Ted. Like, now he is here because he's been distracted. He's been distracted with the Dr. Jake thing. I think that's still going to be a lingering issue throughout the season. 
But like we saw him kind of tip a point last last thing where he kind of told Michelle how he felt. Um, and now we are seeing like him, like him returning to Ted, like now he's in and he doesn't like he, he gives him kind of a half-assed speech at the end of it. And he goes back to walk in and the belief sign rips and, and it lights a fire under his ass. This is the Ted that I think is actually a good coach. Like, do I think he should still learn more about soccer? Yes, I do. Yes, I really, really, really do. Um, and, but like, this is like, like, like Ted has been skating and now I think we're about to see him re-engage yes and I'm trying to think is there something else okay no so that was really it for me all right so now we've gotten to our superlative segments and our first one to start out is our moment that was life our favorite moment football is life no 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 Julia what was your favorite moment can you guess it Mm, uh, probably Roy's sadistic speech about yes <laughs> <laughs> again it's not sadistic it's correct so you deal with a problem once uh, have you considered this that it is both sadistic and correct <laughs> I'm just saying I know what that he's taking pleasure in tormenting and, and physically well assaulting someone There's, else <laughs> there is th- okay there is nothing wrong with that as long as it's not carried to extremes. Like sometimes if someone wrongs you, it is perfectly like in a physical and harmful way. I don't I don't have any problem with you committing violence against them. Like and this way it only happens once. You do this once and the two of you never have to interact again. That's it. I, I think that works if it works out that way. Mostly oh, it just ends up with Especially, shit escalating. So. Well, I, I don't see that's the thing. I don't know that shit would escalate at that point. Or that's you might end up getting your ass beat because here's the the flaw, even though the Roy speech was funny. Yeah. Here's the flaw in what Roy said. He was like, you know, you, you take the, the rope with red paint, you beat them over and over again yeah, see, until be the they problem. believe that it's their own blood. And then you yeah. stop to laugh. For as long as you can, as loud as you can. But I'm like, wouldn't this person just get up and start molly whopping you? <laughs> no. And not go through the theatrics of having a rope. <laughs> have you ever been hit with a rope? Like a heavy No, rope? of course not. Oh, really? <laughs> of course. It Why really would I get hurts. dog? Why would I get hit? I mean, I'm weird, but I'm not like whatever. Never been no judgment. No, we had so, so no no, no. We had <laughs> let me explain. It makes sense. We had a play thing in my backyard when I was little and it had a rope. Like it had, I had like a jungle gym, like my dad built it jungle gym and it had like a rope climbing thing that I would climb. And every once in a while, me and my brother would just beat the shit out of each other with that rope because, you know, children, children, it are, really are fucking evil. hurts. Yeah. <laughs> like being hit with a rope, like a solidly, like a rope that is built to support weight is like, it hurts. Mm. Like, it's not like, it's not like, it's not like getting hit with like a string. Like if, especially if it's like an inch thick rope, like it's gonna hurt so like yeah no you would not get up like, like i don't know i just think there's a fatal flaw in his plan but no, the fatal in re- flaw, there I- is so there is it's the escape strategy you need to have an escape strategy because if you because you'll get your ass beat if you can't get out right i mean you know yeah, yeah, it, it goes well, back to yeah, the whole thing because there's other people there's <laughs> other people in the house so right. like if you're if you're only there's only one person but i'm thinking as a child like if there's a child there they have parents like like, if you're just sneaking into someone else's house and you know they live alone, perfect plan. Perfect plan. But if you're doing this to someone who lives with other people, 
you need to have an exit strategy. Always have an exit strategy. Always have an um, exit strategy. So the other thing that I learned in researching this was mm-hmm. uh, that this was the way that the ancient Romans used to basically force people to vote. <laughs> it's called like a Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastics, something like that, hmm. where uh, they would round up, you know, citizens in the from from their homes, wherever in the town square, in the streets. And they would use a rope soaked in crimson paint and basically flail it at people in order to corral them into the the town square, the voting location. And if you were being sluggish and, and not walking there yourself, but you had to be corralled by the rope like your cattle and you got a red stain on your garment, then they would punish you for trying to not go vote, you know? (laughs) So um, I'm not saying that we should use that in our society, but they probably have pretty high like voter turnout statistics. So, you know, something to think about. Like only three people were citizens. (laughs) So probably. Um, All right. So, okay. So your moment was life was Roy. Um, My moment, my uh, moment that was life was Ted's closing speech about belief uh, I think the team needed that. I needed that, as I found this episode to be quite stressful while watching it. Um, also, I really love how he meant what he said. Like, he really, really meant it. He even cursed twice. Okay, he said shit and hell. He used the actual words. He didn't say, like, shoot and heck, right? So I'm like, okay, Ted yeah. Lasso. Like, this is a different Ted than, than what I I've seen I, in a while. I didn't notice that, but I like that because it means he's actually fired up and he's actually taking this seriously. He means it. Yeah. Um, and it makes so much sense with what he's gone through in his personal life and also what the team is going through. Um, also, another little tidbit about this that I loved and I'm wondering about, I wonder if the universe, right? The woo-woo, psychic, all that mm-hmm. universe slash the show, <laughs> uh, if the show, like the writers or whatever, in a more practical sense, mm-hmm. are calling BS on a particular statement that Ted says right before the sign falls. He says that everyone they need to win is in this room, and then the sign falls. Um, Well, maybe that's not the case, right? Like, as you've been saying, as we've been saying on this show, maybe they actually need someone else in order to have the full winning formula for Richmond. They need somebody that's not in that room currently, and maybe it's Nathan Shelley. Uh, so I'm wondering about that. Interesting. Yeah. I think literally in this moment, he's referring to Zava. But I'm like, okay, yeah. are they doing something I else? I could see that. I could see that. I could see that. I could see that. Yeah. So our next segment is Be a Goldfish, uh, the moment that you would like to forget your least favorite moment. You know what the happiest animal on earth is? It's a goldfish. You know why? No. It's got a 10-second memory. Be a goldfish, Sam. What was yours? Zava quitting the team. It just Danny was so sad. Oh, Danny was sobbing. <laughs> yeah, I also didn't. I didn't like the uh, like. I I think we've been through this. Like, I don't like the quick. Like, he just like leaves. I don't like people who don't consider what impact their actions have on other people. So that was like hard for me. Yeah. Um. What about you? I didn't have. 
a least favorite moment this episode. Um, I guess the game loss, if I had to pick something. Uh, just that, that four to zero beat. And uh, that is a rough loss. Down in the dumps they have been with losing and tying um, in their games. So yeah, that was it for me. That is pretty rough. All right, our next segment is biscuits or your favorite character. I brought you a little something. Oh, yeah, cookies. <laughs> or as y'all call them here, biscuits, right? This is Ted. I like this Ted's return to form. I, I'm hoping that's what this is. Like, I'm really hoping that's that's what this speech is at the end. I liked it. I like, I like seeing it. With that said, I really need them to do a Roy-centric episode. I feel like he's been on the sidelines, and it bums me out, because you know how much I love Roy. Yeah, maybe we would get one. Um, I think they're going to do, like, a Roy episode, a Sam episode, another Beard yeah, episode. Yeah, I want Roy, I want Sam, I need to follow up with this Colin stuff. Like, Also, I want more Trent, because he seems to be, in this episode and the last one, just lurking around making faces at people, which, I gotta say, good look. For Trent Krim, it seems to be his life's calling. But um, I would also, I like the actor, so I'd like to get a, see him to get to do more. Yeah, I think they're going to do like a Trent and Colin episode. Yeah, but I do, I do like that Trent's just like lurking in the background making faces. <laughs> like, I, I do like it. <laughs> what about you? Who's your favorite character? Yeah, Ted too? For Ted? me, it was... Uh, yeah, so I gave partial credit to Ted for the rally at the end. I gave partial credit to Jamie for being right about Zava. Um, but for me, the the person that takes it this episode was Rebecca. Um, I like that. The, hmm. I like this journey that they've set her, or that they you know kind of have set up for her um, in terms of where she goes around this family issue. Um, I think the character Rebecca has always struggled with embracing risk. Um, or disappointment, at least the Rebecca that we've known for the past, you know, three years, let's say. And, you know, there's a risk to, because she she came from a place of being such a, like, hurt uh, woman. Well, yeah, I mean, she she took a risk in her life. She took the biggest risk a lot of a lot of women can make and, and married someone, and it turned, he turned out to be a dill hole. So, like... That's I can understand true. and and why we see her in this risk adverse part of her life. Yeah, and she that's where we end up meeting her. Mm-hmm. You know, because of basically the abuse that she suffered and the disappointment that she suffered. Um but she has made all these strides um since then, you know, through the course of the show. And she used to shy away from Ted and the team in season 1. You know, she kept them at arm's length. Um, and now that is very much different, right? She is fully in support of like Richmond and wanting the team to win. Um, she was afraid of dating and making herself vulnerable, you know, and now that is very much different. Um, well, I'll say she made progress on that because when she broke up with Sam, she said that, you know, she was still afraid of um, being hurt, but she made progress. Um, we saw her be afraid of disappointing Nora, her, jo- her godchild, when they reunited. And she worked through that. And so she's been working through kind of all these fears in terms of having the life that she wants in in terms of how she connects with other people. And um, now I sense that there's an emotional risk that they're setting up of her pursuing, you know, motherhood or a family. And um, 
I want this journey for her. I want more progress for Rebecca. So I love this. Um, and then our last superlative is your least favorite character or hot brown water. You know, I always figured that tea was just going to taste like hot brown water. And you know what? I was right. Yeah, it's horrible. Mm-hmm. No, thank you. Zava. Zava. I get that one. Um, for me, it was Shandy, unfortunately. Shandy. Too much, too much drama, man. You know, I love, she's a fucking wild card. I can never not love her for that. I liked also, it before this episode, but all that drama leaving, like, girl, if you don't get the hell <laughs> out of <yeah>. here. <laughs> also, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I, I, I get it. I get it. But I, I still kind of, I love, she's a fucking hot mess and I still love it. I love it. Um, We might see Shandy again. Who's no, who knows? I, I think we're definitely going to see Zava. Yes. Oh. Yeah, I guess that's a... Did prediction. we talk about? Did we talk? I kind of flew in. I kind of threw in predictions. Off, what about what we think is going to happen with Zava? Oh, I think he's going to come back, maybe on West Ham. But I think maybe um, Nate will abandon and go back to. I don't know how it works. It seems like there's very complicated legal stuff that happens. Um, but I don't know. So same with like, like I, I don't know if West, if if Nathan can just like up and leave West Ham and join. The, you know, the Greyhounds again, because, again, he signed a contract. Um, but I don't know shit about contract law, so. It all depends on the terms, baby. But, yeah, I know, um, but, like, you got to you got to imagine that, like, like yeah. that's pretty much, like, those terms are in there, especially for Zaba. I don't especially know. Especially when he's I mean, known to be flighty. We'd have to know something about sports law and, and Yeah, we'd have to know something con- and, like, English but law. I, yeah, I'm not sure about that, but. Anyway, I mean, yeah, overall, right? I, I think that you're right. I think that there will be a swap, basically, that Zava will pop back up. Uh, I think it'd be very poetic if it ends up being West Ham. And Nate, uh, I think we know, comes back to Richmond. So Yeah, I still don't think Richmond is going to win the whole fucking thing, but I think we'll see. They do. <laughs> I think they have to. They've given us like three seasons or two seasons of not winning. I think that they're going to pay off on that for for season three. Yeah. Okay. All righty. Well, that wraps up episode five. Join us next week for episode six, which uh, I think is titled Sunflowers. So that one will be interesting. Interesting. We know from the preview that it's something. They're in Amsterdam. Oh, are, does that mention that in the preview? Or is that kind of out circulating? No, it was mentioned in the... I was... Because I pulled it up this morning. They said they'd take a friendly trip to Amsterdam. I guess they're playing in one of the European leagues. Oh, like okay. A- but in the episode description, they mention that um, it's going to be a night that like unveils many truths for people or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested to see that. I'm looking. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Alrighty. That wraps up the end of the episode. Thanks everybody for joining us this week. Talk to you next time. Adios. Later days, nerds.